Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach in a little bit, but, but I thought it was, it was totally appropriate this week to begin with a story. Um, we all love stories, and so I'm asking someone in particular to come and share their story. And so my friend Joe is going to come and join me on the sofa, and I'd love it if you'd give him a massive round of applause as he comes to share his story. Are we up for that? Okay. Let's give it up. Great. So, um, Joe, why don't, you just, why don't you start off by telling us just a little bit about, about who you are, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, so my name's Joe McCormack, um, I'm from Dunfermline in Fife, which is just over the Four Road Bridges, um, but I'm staying in Edinburgh now in a place called Bethany Christian Centre, um, which holds 17 residents who struggle with addiction issues such as gambling, drinking, alcohol, uh, and drugs, sorry. Okay, so tell us, um, so we get a bit of a picture of, about you and about who you are. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and growing up and what you got up to. Okay, so when I was younger, you know, I had, um, like, materialistically, I had everything. I lacked nothing, but spiritually and emotionally, I was bankrupt. Um, I grew up with a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, and I, I learned all the wrong habits of growing up. I learned not to trust people and... I learned to bottle my emotions and everything up and not to, not to share who I was and that impacted me when I was at school and tried to develop relationships, you know, because I, I never knew who I was. I was I was always taking a back seat and preventing anyone getting so close to me and my, my two favourite words was, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, all the time. And So I um, had an impact on me and my family life, it was, um, I come from quite a dysfunctional family and... Um, I tried my best to um, stay out of the home, you know, as much as I could. Because when I went back, it was like a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting and stuff. And I, I felt that the, the family home should have been my place of safety and my refuge, a place where I found peace. But it was completely the opposite. Um, and when I went, I went to school, I never missed much of school. But um, I, I went there for my rest, you know. And, and my head was always in the clouds. That was what my report card said as well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but. I just I didn't have any focus, any drive, any motivation or any passion at school. Um, I just got through, you know. I don't know how now, but... And, and you told me a bit about your story before and talked about, really, because of that, you were trying to escape reality. So tell us a bit about, about what, that, what happened, what that looked like for you. Okay, well, fast forward a few years till I was 18 years old and my family network broke down and um, it was a big mess and so it just ended up being me and my mum. And... Um, so I turned, I found alcohol at that age and I thought it was the answer to all my questions. You know, it took away my fears, my anxieties, my worries and it helped me commit myself. It gave me a false confidence, you know, like Dutch courage. And um, so I had the, the decision to make to be sober and, and live with who I didn't know and who I was uncomfortable with, who I was full of guilt and shame and, um, or, or hide in the bottle where it escaped reality and that sounded more appealing to me, so... I escaped reality for a lot of years, and but that caused all sorts of problems. You know, I, I got on the wrong side of the law. Um, 
I had many court dates to attend to because I would have stole, begged and borrowed for alcohol and, and that's what I did, you know, to get my hands on alcohol and, and I ended up in, on probation orders and um, that happened. I was on that for years because I kept on breaching the order and getting it refreshed and it was a whole vicious cycle I was caught up in and I got put in prison six times through it all and, and then I went further down the road I went into drugs and and the issue there was I was I had no tolerance for, for drugs but when I was full intoxicated with alcohol um, I would I would take loads of hard drugs and I was I was overdosing right left and centre and I was getting found in bushes and in closes and in houses and getting woke well brought to life in, in houses and just waking up and loads of paramedics and, and police officers in the house and I was like and then I was waking up in hospital, rigged to life support machines, wires coming out everywhere. It was, it was chaotic. I lost all hope. All, I just lost my, my dignity, my self-respect. I just didn't care if I lived or died, you know. And, and that's, that's pretty much it. And so into the midst of all that, um, somehow you met Jesus. So tell us a little bit about how, how that happened. How did you meet Jesus? Well, I was crying out for help and, you know... I went to see this counsellor in Dunfermline one day and, and, he, and he knew that I was, I, I was needing help and, and he told me about Bethany Christian Centre. And to cut a long story short, you know, I got an interview and I got accepted into Bethany and it was the first time I ever came in contact with Christians, I suppose, and, and you know, these, these people were, were very different from the people that I used to know and, you know, they were, they were um, very loving and caring and genuine, you know, they genuinely wanted to know who I was and and that's not what my experience of people was, you know, and it just really impacted me, and, and it helped me to break my, bring my barriers down because I had issues with trust, I couldn't trust anyone, so I eventually started to trust and open up and find out who I was and what made me tick, and, and, um, and so that got the ball, the ball rolling, starting to recover, and I accepted Jesus into my heart in 2008. But um, it's not been a plain sailing road, it's been a very difficult road that I've been on, um, because um, because I had trouble trusting people, you know, I knew that Jesus came to save me and to heal me and forgive me, but I found it hard to trust people and to, to trust a God that I couldn't really see was even tougher as well. So what I put my trust in was the bottle because I was uncovering loads of painful issues from the past and emotions and that, and it was really painful. So I chose the easy way out and, and chose to, to drink because I knew that I'd take, take it away and I would escape. And so I escaped back into the bottle and I tried to hide for God and I tried to just block him out of my head. But I know the day that he never, ever leaves me or not forsakes me, you know, and, he, and, and I see him working in my life through all my overdoses and that. You know, he's protected me, he's had his, his hand on my life and he's, he's, he, he's um, yeah, he's just spared my life. He's, he's amazing and, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you've already started talking about it, but what, what's Jesus done in your life? What's life like now? with Jesus? Well, Jesus is the, the bread of life and the living water and, and he satisfies my innermost need and quenches my deepest desire. And what Jesus gives me today is, well, drinking drugs can't come anywhere close to it, you know. He's, um, he's just a fantastic father, so forgiving, just deals me with loving for forgiveness and grace and, you know, he's given me a life well worth living today. He's brought my chaos back into order, you know, he's you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, you know. He never made a mistake when he made me. And I'm made in God's image, you know. And he's a, a tremendous father and I love him so much. And, yeah. 
Amazing. And, and one of the reasons we wanted to talk to Joe was both because his story is so incredible, um, but also because um, we wanted to honor Joe because he's, he's actually also seen a couple of his friends through him recently meet Jesus as well. So tell us a little bit about how that happened. Well, because I'm in um, Bethany Christian Center, you know, I've got a great training ground there to, to just show Jesus' love through the way that I live my life today. And, and um, so I've just been coming along here faithfully from January, and I love this place, you know, I love... I thank you so much for accepting me into your family as well. Um, but, you know, I was encouraging the guys to come along to the service with me. And, and one night, my friend Scott says that he would, he would like to come along with me. And I was like, great. And he'd never been to church ever in his life ever before. And so I met him at the train station because I was at my mum's this weekend. And we headed up to the church and we, we came into the service and we enjoyed the service. And we met um, one of the managers from the Bethany Centre after the service, Alistair Bennett. And um, he asked Scott, he says, Scott, are you a Christian? And Scott says, well, I think I've uh, done it in my room. I think I've given my life to Jesus in my room. And so Alistair says, would you want to do it now and seal the deal? And he was like, aye. So, um, so we prayed for him, and then he asked me if I would like to lead him in the salvation prayer, and I, I felt really honoured, and I, I went, of course I would. And then he gave his life to Jesus right there and then, and he got baptised two weeks ago, which is amazing. And then my friend... Grant Walker is here with me tonight. Um, he came up the following week and um, the same again, but he waited till he got home and he says, Joe, I'd like to become a Christian. Do you mind praying for me? I was like, of course I will. That would be an honour as well. And then here he is today, you know, changed man. How good is that? How amazing is that? So um, I'm going to give the final word to you. To just, just finally, um, we're talking about which Jesus. Tell us a little bit, just finally, about um, what, what is Jesus? How is Jesus in your day-to-day life? How do you depend on Jesus? What's that, what's that like for you? Well, I suppose when, when I was an alcoholic and a drug addict, you know, that consumed my thoughts. And, and now I was dependent on alcohol and drugs. I'm now dependent on Jesus, and he consumes my thoughts every day. And, you know, I'm just so amazed. He's a miraculous God. You know, he saved my life, and... He's just, he's just an amazing God, you know. I just encourage you just to test him and see, you know. He's, he's an absolute fantastic father, and I love spending time with him and love worshipping him. And, yeah, I just want to honour him with the rest of my life, and I'm looking forward to, to a life with Jesus, you know. And I know it will not be easy, but um, I know that I've got Jesus by my side helping me. Oh, man. Let's give Joe a massive round of applause for sharing. through yes you can hear me I'm on the the Kylie mic now Madonna Brittany anyway um my my job now is to um is to do two things it's to open up our passage which is John chapter three and to teach out of that and the second thing I want to do which is basically the same thing is is explain something of Joe's story offer some explanation to what he's described Um, And so we're in this series called Which Jesus? Which Jesus? And and it's based on the premise 
that what you think about when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What you think about when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And so what you think about when you think about Jesus matters. It does. And so which Jesus do you think about when you think about Jesus matters? And so we're going to look, and we've been looking so far in this series, through John's Gospel, looking at a window into Jesus. A lens into Jesus. And so week one, Carl taught that that God is Jesus and that Jesus is God. So the Christian faith teaches, if you want to know what God looks like, Jesus. That's what he told us in in week one. So how we see Jesus is really important. In fact, how Joe sees Jesus has changed his life. Um, so we're going to read, uh, and we're going to do. We're going to focus in on two verses, which um, one of which is the most famous verse in the Bible. We're going to go to John three sixteen and John three seventeen as explanation, um, and to give us a bit of a picture into which Jesus, which Jesus has saved Joe, which Jesus are we talking about when we sing these songs and worship to Jesus? So John three sixteen and seventeen says this: For God. So loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so I'm very simply going to talk about three things. They're in there. I've highlighted them. They're in bold on the screen. They're right in the passage. Jesus loves. God loves. Jesus gives. God gives. And Jesus saves. God saves. Really simple. And so we're going to start by looking at love. Jesus loves. God loves. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, what's love got to do with it? got to do with it what's love but a second-hand emotion I know that's what you're thinking but bear with me um you can play the Barry White track in the background for this bit um no I'm kidding it's a joke um but we're going to talk about love and the reason I want to talk about love um is because for us to understand the love that these verses talk about we need to first understand our own picture of love because if, if, we, if we understand our own picture of love, then we can set apart God's love and see just how spectacular it is. Because it's not like our love. Because when we think about love, most of us, when we think about love, we think about a feeling, don't we? Kind of warm inside. Gushy, nice, lovely, romantic. In popular culture, we think of romantic comedies. We think of Valentine's Day, don't we? That's what we think about when we think about, think about love. It's normally based on attraction. It's emotive. And, and personally, I have a natural distaste for all that stuff anyway. Mainly because I'm quite robotic and kind of not very in tune with my feelings. And I'm sadly not very romantic either. You can ask, ask my poor wife. But, and I said that this morning. I told people I wasn't very romantic this morning. And about a dozen different women in the church went and spoke to my wife afterwards to explain to them, don't worry, mine's the same. So apparently there's quite a few people out there. Um, I say that 
but we're well matched because she's not very romantic either. Um, on our honeymoon, she told me, she said something like, yeah, yeah, you're not the one. <laughs> Sorry? Well, we don't believe in the one, do we? And I said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Secretly, just crying inside. I'm not the one. <laughs> no, but I don't believe in that. I don't believe in a one for each of us. I don't believe in that. And it, but it, you know, it, it does look great, doesn't it, in romantic comedies, that idea. It looks great when, when Hugh Grant is proposing it to you, doesn't it? It's that Disney love, that happily ever after love. But the problem with this picture of love, the problem with this picture of love is when it meets with reality. That's the problem. The problem with this type of love, if love is a feeling, well, we all know that feelings can change, don't we? That's the danger if love's a feeling. If, if love is a feeling, then when we say, I love you, what we're really saying is, you make me happy. You give me a feeling, so I love you. That's what we're saying. And that type of love is transient and weak. It's I love you because. If someone loves you with this kind of love, then you can't feel safe. Because they might not tomorrow. When love is a feeling, when love is conditional, well, in that type of relationship, we don't allow ourselves to be fully known. We want to put on the best front, don't we? Because if their loving us is based on us making them happy, then we need to step up. We need to perform. We need to withhold all of our shortcomings. And, and we don't even have, in our culture, we don't even have a language for love. We use one word for everything. Example, you love your family, and I love pizza. One word. It denotes a very different meaning, doesn't it? But John, when he wrote John 3.16 and verse 17, he, he didn't just have one word for love available to him. He had a whole number of different words available to him when he wrote the word love. And the word that he chose to use is a word in the original language called ahava or ahiva. I don't know why I do it in a Scottish accent when I say it that way. Ahava or ahiva which is a different type of love. And I'm setting it apart now. So our love, transient, weak, conditional, God's love, ahava, it's different. Ahava is a love of the will. It's a love of the will. It's a steadfast love. It's a choice of love, not a feeling. And we look at that and say, that is so unromantic. But God says, I'm choosing to love you, and I will continue to love you. It's different. It's different. And it's different because you can build your life on this kind of love. Because it's safe. It's unconditional. So you can be yourself with all your shortcomings, and he's still going to love with this kind of love. It's not conditional. In fact, it's constant, regardless of how we behave. You know, if you don't make God happy, he won't stop loving you. He doesn't one day start loving you 
and one day stop loving you. It doesn't happen. Because he is God and he has said, I will love you. He's chosen it. He's chosen it. And so he has always. He does and he will always. Which means that a relationship with God, being loved by God, is not like speed dating. Because in speed dating what? You get two minutes to impress the other person, to show them enough of your kind of exaggerated self, of your best light, that the other person might, might you know, approve of you and say, I might see them again. That's what happens. That's not what it's like, this love with God. He doesn't withdraw from our failures. We don't have to hide those things because he's going to love us regardless. He embraces us entirely. If, if you're the kind of person who circles or underlines or highlights things in your Bible, and you've got your Bible in front of you open to John 3, then the, the word so in that first sentence is so good. For God so loved. He so loved. Not just for God loved. For God so, his love was so great. For God so loved that. And, and the, the people that he loved, the world that he loved, in this situation, in this context, in this circumstance, it's not the earth. For God so loved the world. He's talking about humanity. For God so loved humanity. For God so loved people. For God so loved you and me. He so loved us that he gave. So God loved. And out of his love, overflowing from his love, his ahava, steadfast, unconditional love for you, he gave. He gave. What would a God, what would a God who loves us so much give? He gives us himself. He gives us himself. He himself, we've already talked about it. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. Jesus is not God's best angel or his heavenly rescue team. They are the same. Jesus is God. And so God himself in Jesus steps into creation, which is remarkable. Think about that. God is absolutely perfect. The Bible uses, uses the word holy. He is holy. He is blameless. He is without defect. And he not only loves you, but out of that love, he gives you himself. And when we hear that, when we hear that, there are probably two groups of people in the room when we hear that. And, and these are the two groups of people. The first group of people they hear that and they don't believe it could be for them. They think, oh, that, that can't be for me. And the second group of people don't believe it needs to be for them. Does that make sense? So the first group of people, I don't believe it could be for me. I'm not good enough for God. Surely me, in all my weakness, perhaps we're all too aware of them, in all my shortcomings... God must recoil from me, not lean in towards me. That's maybe how we think about it. Maybe you hear Joe's story tonight and you actually feel really inspired. Because if, if God can step in and, and save someone like Joe, then maybe he can step in and save someone like me. 
And we'll, we're going to look at what it means to believe that. And the second group of people, there are those who don't believe it could be for them. And then there are those who don't believe it needs to be for them. And, and maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you're sat there, I'm in this camp. So often I'm in this camp. And I sit there and think, is this all necessary? Am I really bad enough to require all of this? What have I done that was so bad that God from heaven had to step into creation, had to go to a cross, had to do all that stuff? You know, I'm, a, I'm a good and moral person most of the time. I've, I've, I'm not an addict. I've, I've still never been to prison. Still. Is that really necessary? Maybe that's you. Maybe you, maybe you heard Joe's story and you thought, that's inspiring. But it's, it's disconnected because it's not my experience. Maybe. Well, Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee, a religious person, and a tax collector. And he says that they're both stood in the temple courts and they're both praying a prayer. And the Pharisee, the religious person, he prays what is probably the most obnoxious prayer ever prayed. He stands in the temple courts and very publicly he speaks out to God. God, thank you that I am not like these other people. Honestly, that's what he says. Thank you that I'm not like these other people. Thank you that I'm not like this evil tax collector. Because he knows that he, he keeps the law. He knows that he's moral. He knows that he's good. And then Jesus says that after that, there's, there's another man who's a tax collector. And tax collectors were the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. And, and this tax collector has stood a little distance off from the crowd to one side. And, the, and the, the verses, the passage, the story that Jesus tells says that this man doesn't even look towards heaven. He's so ashamed. And so he stands with his head downcast and he beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what he says. And Jesus poses the people around him this question. Of those two people, the Pharisee, the religious man who compares himself to the other, and the tax collector who stands with his head down but crying out for mercy, which of those two will be justified? Which of those two will be justified? Because, because the truth is that we all fall short. All of us, whether we know it or not, we all fall short. Sometimes I forget that. You know, sometimes, do you know, sometimes in my pride and in my arrogance, I can, I can, my thinking can be so skewed, I can kind of project this, well, God's lucky to have me on his team. Honestly. Maybe not, maybe not exactly like that. But if I nail it down, that's what I'm thinking. That's, what, that's how I'm behaving. That's, that's what I'm assuming. And the truth is that, that if you ask, if you say, you know, do you need to be saved? Well, then I'm, I'm, I'm right down here on my knees beside Joe, crying out to Jesus for mercy. That's the truth of it. That's where I need to be. I need to keep reminding myself, keep acknowledging my need for God. It was the tax collector who was made right with God. So which are you? The religious man or the tax collector. So wherever we are, wherever we are on that, the truth is that compared to the holiness of God, we come up short. In the light of Jesus, 
the sensible thing in the light of Jesus is not to compare ourselves to our neighbor and think, well, at least I'm doing better than him. But it's to acknowledge our shortcomings, acknowledge our weakness, recognize our rebellion from God, own it and bring it before him. That's the sensible thing to do. And so, Jesus loves, Jesus gives, and Jesus saves. He saves. This, Joe's story, my story, this is the story of a God who saves and not condemns. He saves and not condemns. Imagine if, imagine if I'd invited Joe up and he'd sat in the chair and he told us about his life. And then I said, well, and, and you met Jesus, what was that like? And he said, yeah, uh, it's been all right. I feel pretty guilty though. It's been all right, but, but he mainly, mainly kind of feel like he's kind of just trying to catch me out. Well, that's not his story. That's not my story. My story is meeting Jesus and it felt like a light was switched on. Suddenly the darkness was gone and light came as Jesus stepped in. Jesus isn't like that. We read it in John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to save you. Which means, coming to my most profound point of the evening, Jesus is not Nelson from The Simpsons. Bear with me. So Nelson, you weren't expecting that, were you? Nelson is this character from The Simpsons. And, and basically, he, he has this kind of one main character role, character trait. And it's that whenever anybody has done anything stupid, or anybody has tried something and failed, or anybody has fallen flat on their face, Nelson is there, always, to stand over them, to point as he is on the screen, and do his signature, ha ha, that's what happens. That's his role. His, his whole character is, he's the one who mocks you when you mess up. But honestly, Jesus is not Nelson from The Simpsons. God did not love you so much that he sent himself in the form of Jesus to enter into creation, to live a life, to go to a cross, to die, to be resurrected, so that one day you might feel guilty or condemned or judged. He didn't come to catch you out or to rub it in when you get things wrong. Jesus isn't like that. Which Jesus? The one who condemns or the one who saves? And, and the one that you believe in, the picture of God that you have, literally changes your biology. It changes who you are. Like, scientifically proven. It's scientifically proven, which this is cool, right? That if you believe and contemplate on a wrathful God, a condemnatory God... It actually strengthens the limbic system in your brain, which is the part of the brain that deals with aggression and fear. And if you believe and reflect on a loving God, a God who saves and not condemns, a God who's loving, it strengthens your frontal lobes and the anterior cingular, whatever that is, which is the part of the brain that deals with empathy and reason. 
So, if you believe in a Jesus who saves, you literally become more loving, caring, and compassionate. And if you believe in a Jesus who condemns, then you neurologically, biologically become more fearful, judgmental, and aggressive. Literally. Interesting side note. Jesus comes not to condemn, but to save. Verse 17 spells it out so clearly. He comes to save and not condemn. And so the cross of Jesus for us is a symbol of hope. Symbol of hope. It's a symbol of no matter how far you feel that you've gone, no matter how far your back is turned from God, no matter how much you feel you've messed it up or got it wrong, there's hope. There's a way back through the cross. That's my story. That's Joe's story. On the cross, Jesus was condemned. He was condemned. And so all of our rebellion, all of our sin, past, present, future, all of that was placed on him and he removes it from us. He absorbs it upon himself. And in its place, where we have offloaded all of that stuff, he gives us his perfection. That's the trade-off. We get his perfection. So the cross of Jesus means, for one thing, that you don't have to pretend to be perfect. Joe can come up here and share his story and talk about the things that he's done and the things that he's not proud of. But he can do it because he knows that there's a God who's absorbed all that sin upon the cross. And so he's free. Now he is perfect in God's sight. When God looks on me, when God looks on you in Jesus, he sees his own perfection. He sees the righteousness of God, not our own imperfection. And so we can be safe in his love. If we turn back to the passage, who is this available to? Who is this up to grabs for? Well, the passage says, whoever Whoever, whoever believes in him. Whoever. Which means you can't be too far gone. Nor can you be too saintly. Whoever believes in him. So, just as I close, what does it mean to believe? How do we know it? How can we be confident in it? How do we know? A couple of thoughts. It is not just an intellectual assent. I kind of acknowledge that. I kind of get that. Jesus did some stuff and that has some kind of significance. It's not just intellectual assent. And to believe is to continue believing. To believe is to be believing. It's not necessarily a one-time thing, but an ongoing belief in Jesus. Believing in Jesus means three, three things, I think. It means trusting he is who he says that he is, and he did what he said that he did. That's what I think it means to believe in Jesus. It means choosing to walk away from our sin. So not just accepting 
great, Jesus gets rid of the consequences of sin. Shame and guilt and he forgives me. But actually choosing to walk away from sin itself. Own it like the tax collector does. Recognizing it, acknowledging it and bringing it to Jesus. And finally, it means being serious about entering into a relationship with him. That's what I think it means to believe. Trusting he is that he says who he says that he is and he did what he said that he did. Choosing to walk away from your sin and being serious about entering into a relationship with him. And that belief, we read it, don't we? That belief, whoever believes in him, has the power to completely change your life now and for eternity. Changed my life. That, that, that belief that I have in Jesus has changed my life. And Joe's story tells us that it's changed his life as well. Doesn't mean that it's all going to be easy. Doesn't mean that it's plain sailing from here because I believe. But it means that he is with us. And it means you shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This eternal life refers to time, obviously, eternity. But it also refers to a quality of life now. Jesus can change your life now. Jesus said that you can have life and life in all its fullness now through him. This freedom and new life is available in him. And the same is true for the opposite, which we don't often talk about. But by implication, if you don't believe, then you don't gain this new life in Jesus now or for eternity. So as we think about which Jesus, because what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. As we think about this Jesus, which Jesus do we have in mind? Which Jesus do we picture? Not just in our heads, but in our hearts. How are we living? Which Jesus are we living by? The one whose feelings about you change based on your performance, that Jesus. Or the one who loves you unconditionally. The Jesus who is perfect in holiness and so can't come anywhere near me and my life. He's absent. Or the Jesus who gives of himself and enters into our brokenness. The Jesus who comes to condemn and guilt trip us. Or the one who rescues and saves. What you think about when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. So which Jesus? Should we pray together? Why don't, if you're able, why don't you stand with me? Great. Let's pray together then. So Heavenly Father, we we thank you for Joe's story. We thank you that, that his story can be my story too. Thank you that it speaks of your love for him and for us. 
Thank you that it speaks of a God who is not absent, but who enters into our lives. Not just historically, not just in, in a book, but today enters in and transforms lives. And thank you that it speaks of a God who saves, who is our rescuer, who comes not to condemn us, but to save us, to bring us healing and restoration and freedom. Thank you that that same Jesus is present with us tonight. And so, Holy Spirit, living and active presence of Jesus, we ask that you fill this place. We ask that you come and that you meet with us. Would you reveal the true and real Jesus to us? That we might be captivated by that Jesus. That we might believe in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would bring in your love and in your grace and in your kindness, correction where we've misviewed Jesus. Where what other people have said or what other people have done or what the church has been has given us a skewed picture of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask for your healing. And we recognize as well, Lord, that that this isn't just a message that we only need to hear once. This isn't just a belief that we only need to hold once. But we continue to place our belief in you. We continue to fix our eyes on you. We continue to lift you up. Lord, we want to be the tax collector, not the Pharisee. And so would you help us, Lord, where pride or where arrogance would get in the way where we would, we would look too quickly to comparing ourselves to others instead of recognizing what you might do for us individually. Thank you, Lord, that there is always more freedom. There is always more life. We can always go closer and deeper with you. And so would you help us tonight to be, to be honest. Thank you that we don't need to pretend. Thank you that the cross of Jesus means that we all needed a savior. And so we come as we are, in our frailty, in our strength, in our independence from you, in our dependence upon you, in our imperfection. We come, Lord, and we ask, would you presence yourself here with us? We need a savior. And in your love, you graciously meet us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you meet with your people? Would you speak? Would you remind Would you provoke? Would you whisper? Would you bring healing and restoration in this place tonight? For your glory. Amen. Amen.